0: Yeah. the Celebration Rock podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and Uprocks.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. This week, we're going to be doing something new here on the podcast. It's a new series, sort of like a feature, I guess, that I want to do from time to time. I'm calling it Rock 101. And it's where I look at an artist from the past that for whatever reason, I feel like is underappreciated, that I want to talk about in a modern context and provide a gateway for people to get into that artist. You know, even if there's not a timely hook to it. You know, the only timely hook, I guess, is that you want to hear great music that you haven't heard before. So that's going to be the idea of this new feature we're doing here called Rock 101. And the first artist that we're going to be talking about for this feature is uh, someone who I think is one of the great singer-songwriters of all time. You know, someone that doesn't come up enough when we talk about Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, all of those people. Because I feel like this person definitely belongs in that conversation. He's not as prolific as those artists. He's not as successful. Uh, he's not as famous as them. Uh, but if you look at the body of work that he put together, and the songs that he wrote in his time, I think that it stacks up to almost anyone in rock history. And the person I'm talking about is Townes Van Zant, a quintessential Texas troubadour, a guy who put out his first record in the late 60s and put out six albums, really, from 1968 to 1972. And then he had this long career after that where he really was the guy that, when you think about the romantic loner on a stage with a guitar, you know, the sad sack person playing song after song about romantic desolation and fatalism and the idea that we're all ultimately alone in the universe the person you're thinking about is towns van zant whether you know it or not because that is the guy who fits that archetype more completely than anyone else and has probably influenced a lot of the people that you love that have emulated that you know whether they're in alt country or in indie rock or wherever the case may be and I would venture to say that as good as a lot of the people are that followed in his footsteps, there is no one that has surpassed him, even now. Tons Van Zandt died uh, in 1997. So it's been a while, you know, since he's been making music, and yet his legend continues to loom large. You'll occasionally hear his songs in, in movies now, like if you watch Hell or High Water or uh, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, uh, his his music is in those movies, and it's usually used to evoke this sort of southwestern noir type feeling, you know, a, a desolation that exists in the wide expanse of America. There's something about Towns Van Zant's music that evokes that very strongly. But you know, I'm blathering on and on about this guy. I'm telling you about how great he is, but I'm not really giving you any entry points. Like, if you've never heard of Towns Van Zant, how do you get into him? And why should you care? Well, I thought that the perfect person to talk to about this uh, it would be Tyler uh, Mahan Coe. Now, hopefully you know who Tyler is already because he is the host of a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones, which I think is the best long-form music podcast in the game right now. If you haven't listened to it, what Tyler does is he will take an artist from country music history, and it may be someone who is older, like Merle Haggard, or it might be someone who is a little bit more contemporary, like Wynonna, and he will do a deep dive into that person's career. Not only exploring the history of that person's music, but breaking down the songs and telling you what it is about them that makes them work, what makes them tick. He's a really smart, insightful person. And uh, when I was in Nashville last month, I happened to be there because I was working on a project. And Tyler lives in Nashville, and I just thought that'd be a great opportunity to hang out with Tyler for a bit. Uh, we hung out for an hour and we talked about Tans Van Zant, and you know, went over his career and it just tried to sum up exactly what it is about this person that makes him so important and unique and his music so powerful. Uh, so it was a really fun conversation. Hopefully, if you're already a fan of his, you'll get something out of this, uh, this episode. But if you never listen to him, I think this will be a great introduction to his music. And once you start listening to him, your mind will be blown. So that makes me excited. But before we get to that, we have an exciting thing that is happening with the podcast now. We talked about this last week, but we need to remind people again, Derek, of this exciting development. So what's going on? We're We're, we're being offered with, Like robots can play our music, our our podcast
1: now or something? Yes, when the robots take over, uh, you'll still be able to listen to uh, Celebration Rock because we are are now available on your favorite smart speaker device. Uh, If you have an Alexa, uh, you can listen to Celebration Rock. If you have a Google Home, you can listen to Celebration Rock. And if you want to do that for Alexa, uh, you just say, Alexa, enable Celebration Rock skill one time. That's all you have to do is say it one time. And from then on, it'll be able to play it for you whenever you say, Alexa, play Celebration Rock. Uh, now, if you have Google Home, you just need to say, OK, Google, talk to Celebration Rock or OK, Google, speak to Celebration Rock. And your smart speaker will play that for you uh, right there uh, in your home anytime you want, which is pretty cool. I actually now, when I go to friends' houses and they have an Alexa, I'll just do it over at their house uh, so that they are uh, getting the podcast when they least expect it. I think it's great. Um <laughs> And of course, I want to remind you, we're part of the Westwood One podcast network. You can get us on the Westwood One app. You can get us on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review uh, and anywhere else you really like to get your podcast.
0: Pretty much all the good podcast platforms you can get us and all the bad ones. We don't even want to be on them. So all the good ones you can find our podcast. I also want to give um, a shout out to everyone who has bought or read my book Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the the End of Classic Rock. It came out last month. Uh, It's been out, I guess, now almost five weeks. Uh, But the response to the book has been really great. The reviews have been really great. The emails I've gotten, the tweets I've gotten from readers have been really nice. One thing I hear a lot is this book sounds like something I could have written, which I think is a compliment when people say that. (laughs) I think what they mean is that it resonates with them. So thank you so much for everyone who's read the book. If you have not read the book yet, or if you are looking for a gift for Father's Day, it is still on sale. (laughs) That's the great thing about books. Once they're on sale, they're on sale forever. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, the book talks about Dad Rock, but of course, you know, the book is also talking about Bud Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, all of those people. So Check out the book, Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. And thanks again for everyone who's already read the book. I really appreciate it. Okay, guys, so me and Tyler Mahan Co., we got into it talking about Towns Van Zant. It was a really great conversation. So let's get into it. Here is me and Tyler digging into the great career of Towns Van Zant. Okay, so I'm excited to talk to you about Towns Van Zant. But before we get into that, I wanted to check in on season two of Cocaine and Rhinestones, or if there is going to be a season two. I know you do another podcast uh, called Your Favorite Band Sucks, which is much different. So you're busy with that. But are you plotting a second season? Like, what's the status of that?
2: Oh, yeah. I'm working on it already. Um, I was making both podcasts at the same time the whole time I was making the first one so it's like the other podcast really isn't so it's honestly sort of therapeutic to have your favorite band sucks because with cocaine and rhinestones I take it so seriously right. you know because I it matters so much that I get everything exactly right it, you know it's history it's information you know
0: when you were saying like I think one episode you said you spend like 100 hours on every episode
2: probably about 100 hours on every episode which is just insane yeah. to me
0: um, I spend maybe an hour and five minutes on every episode of my podcast so yeah, I salute you for that.
2: So just to be able to get together once a week and sit down with a friend of mine and just talk the worst <laughs> shit on every band you can think of, is it really is just sort of like a decompression right. thing for me. So it's really nice. But yeah, I'm, I'm working on the second season. Um, there's a lot of stuff that has come up around it, um, like business sort of things, That a lot of conversations that I'm having to have. So I'm not getting it done as fast as i would like but it is coming along um and are nicely you, are, you, are you getting to the point where you can do this as your job yeah yeah this is all i'm gonna do for the rest of my life okay yeah
0: because i know like you were talking about like the, the patreon page mm-hmm. and like how and just reminding people that like hey this content doesn't just appear out of nowhere if you like it and you want it to be around you should support it which is a especially with your podcast like because as you said so much research. It's so dense. There's a lot of information in every episode.
2: I think it's good to remind people that, you know, you got to support these things. It would take me three to five years to make a season of this <laughs> podcast if I had a job. I yeah, right. I, I quit working and lived off credit cards to make the first season. Um, definitely not recommending that to anyone else, <laughs> but the Patreon thing has worked out. And like I said, there's a lot of other stuff that's happening. I mean, this... This is shaping up to be my life's work, I think. So, yeah, that's pretty incredible.
0: And are you still... So, like, are you still doing the Patreon thing then? Or are you you getting, like, a sponsor? Like, should people look that up if they want to support the podcast?
2: Um, Yeah, I am interested in working with sponsors. Uh, I've had a lot of... I've had a few um, potentially really good ones reach out to me already. Um, I'm definitely not going to be, you know, reading like the same exact ads that are on every podcast that everyone (laughs) listens to. You know, I want to... No Blue Apron ads? I mean, I feel like I'm trying to set myself apart from most other podcasts, and I think that I'm bringing a... I think I'm bringing a lot of people to the medium. I think there are a lot of people who are listening to this who've never listened to a podcast before, and I think there is no reason to treat them like everyone who has already been listening to podcasts. It's not the same audience, you know? So I'm really yeah. looking for, like, unique ways to go about things like that. Yeah.
0: So if people want to support it, should they still check out the Patreon page? Oh, yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, okay. that's people are still signing up for that. It's still growing, you know? Okay. I mean, I don't... It's The Patreon itself is not uh, making enough for me to be able to, you know, <laughs> have that be the only source of monetization. So I'm just I'm hoping to... Sort of have a, a bunch of different things happening that will bring in enough money to keep doing it.
0: Okay, so I'm saying right now, kick Tyler some shekels yeah. here. If, you, if you, It's a great podcast. Check it out and then kick him some shekels here. He needs... Yeah. So we can tell his great stories. And do, do you have any... You probably don't want to say what you're already thinking about for season two. Is there anything uh, in particular well, that you would tease... I right
2: said I have said publicly that people can expect to hear a lot of George Jones. Okay. So I think that's probably as much as I would feel comfortable saying about it.
0: I got to say, one of my favorite episodes was the Winona episode. So, like, so like the '80s country era would be something. Per- not that you probably have a million people saying "do this, do that," but that would be my comment card.
2: <laughs> that, that episode, um, I'm I'm really glad that I did that. Uh, that's one that I think someone who is super familiar with country may look at the list of people discussed in the first season and see that as an outlier, you know, like what's that doing there? And I've gotten a lot of emails from people who said they didn't think they were interested in her at all, you know, weren't even planning on listening to that episode, but they listened to the rest of the podcast and they were like, well, there's, is." I like it you know so maybe this will be good and press play on it and it just blows their mind you know which is sort of what i wanted to do with it um but also i just think she's great you know i I think that music's great there are a lot of people who hate that time period and country the whole 80s 90s uh pop country stuff but i think that stuff's awesome
0: yeah and i think that's what was so great about it that you could do all of these sort of iconic you know old school country people and then also say, hey, wait a second, this is also part of the story, and maybe you think you don't care about it, but once I tell you about it, there's so many twists and turns to this story that you're not going to be able to stop it once you press play.
2: What's really funny is I just wanted to talk about one of her songs. You probably heard me say that in the liner notes of the episode, but I only wanted to do... because I do some episodes that are just on a song for people who haven't heard it, and uh, that was going to be a song episode, (laughs) and then I found out... uh, that there was no way to honestly have a conversation about that song without telling her entire life story, because the that, the only way that song happened that way is because of how her life had been.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's segue to the Towns Van Zandt conversation. And, you know, what's great about your podcast is that you're so good at, you know, sort of deconstructing this music and, and pointing out uh, you know what makes something country, and like where that came from, and the development of that. And with with Towns Van Zant, I'm wondering like, you listen to his records, and, and based on what I've read, like especially his early records, you know the the production on the record, the, it's very sort of indicative of the time, There's a lot of orchestration. There's like some harpsichord on song, like baroque touches on some of his uh, records. And you know based on what I've read, I think when he was emerging, there was some confusion about like. Who exactly should he be on a record? Should he be a folk singer? Should he be a country singer? Should he be sort of a singer-songwriter in the mode of what singer-songwriters were in the late 60s, early 70s? Like for you, like when you think about town Van Zandt, do you think of him as a country s-
2: singer or How do you classify him? I definitely do not think of him as a country singer. Um, That being said, I mean, I do a podcast about country music. I have every intention of getting to Towns Fan Sant someday because he's so there, you know, he's so right there. Um, He referred to himself as a folk singer, and that's how I I would refer to him, were that not the case. You know, he just sounds like a folk singer to me. Um, Also saturated in the blues tradition, you know, he worshiped Lightning Hopkins, you know, tracked him down, played guitar with him, things like that. Um, and as far as the, album, I, I get the feeling that the way I think about Towns Van Zandt's discography is different than a lot of Towns Van Zandt fans who are probably going to get mad about some things that I say. um, I like that first album. I do too. The the first album is the only one that I can hear someone's point when they're saying that his albums were overproduced people's, but people say his first, like four albums were overproduced and not in my opinion, Right. you know, in that first album, uh, something we were talking about a little bit before recording this is that, uh, put out a live album officially. There are several bootleg recordings, you know, um, You can hear a lot of different versions of these songs. He re-recorded some of the songs from that first album. Which, by the way, he said that he loved that first album, too. And he kept working with Cowboy Jack Clement. So, I mean, it's not like Cowboy Jack Clement was the only producer around. You know, he could have gone to someone else if he hated it. So, I I think he did feel, after hearing it, that some of the songs were not presented the way that he would want them to be presented. But for a specific example, I think the song... Uh, I'll be here in the morning. I think the version of I'll be here in the morning that's on that first album is the definitive version of that song. I right. think his re-recording of it later, I don't like it as much, you know, and that's just my feelings about it. You know, what about like
0: Tecumseh Valley because he did that on the first two records? I kind of like the our Mother the mountain version more. Because like, I would say like I, I, I agree with you. I feel like our Mother the Mountain, the second record. You think of a song like Kathleen, for instance, and I think the orchestration on that is just beautiful. I feel like it's a little more refined maybe on the second record, but I, I totally understand. I think people have this idea of Towns Van Zandt, the, like the mythology of Towns Van Zandt, as the guy playing in a rundown bar with an acoustic guitar you know sort of the quintessential troubadour so to reconcile that with maybe the production of those records is hard for some people maybe
2: well yeah and this goes back to the folk singer thing which right. that is a fan community or you know culture or however you want to describe it uh, that really gets hung up on the whole idea of whether or not someone's the real deal you know the real thing right. You know. Um, Which is hilarious when you consider who the most successful folk singer on the planet is. (laughs) But um, yeah, (laughs) so he never really had a lot of fans when these first albums were coming out, but the ones that he did have, he got performing live, probably just by himself with a guitar, you know, so, hey, I got an album coming out, and then it comes out, everyone's like, what the hell is this? Right. You know, we thought you were, you know, we thought you were the next, like, Hank Williams Sr., we thought you were the next Woody Guthrie, you know, <laughs> what is this shit? Uh, you know, and, um, yeah, I, I, I would say that um, there was those feelings i mean you can find some very bad writing about this album just opinions that i would say are ignorant um but again it goes back this is what he wanted to do you know he wanted to do this the same instruments that are used on that first album are still get used on his songs all you know all the way to the end you know the the same exact instruments it's just they're used in a different way they're they're Uh, the production is just a little less grandiose, you know, and just a lot less drums. I think what it really comes down to in a lot of the times is just the drumming. Like people hear the drumming and they're like, ah, this doesn't work for me. (laughs) And that makes sense because Towns very rarely used drums. You know, there is a certain sort of rhythm to everything he's doing that drumming makes it very martial, you know? It's very, like, structured and everything. Right. But, um, I mean, again, like you said, it's the the second album. It, it's, there's still orchestration on there and um, it, uh, instruments that you would not expect to find. Uh, it's just dialed down a little bit. I think that Our Mother the Mountain is the best Towns Van Zandt album. Right. That's, that's probably the best one, you know, in my opinion.
0: Like, did you ever hear that story about him, like... Like, when he, when Joe Eli picked him up hitchhiking, yeah. and, like, he was, like, wandering through the desert, supposedly, and, like, Joe, it was, like, 1969 or something, and, like, he was wandering through the desert, and his backpack was just filled with copies of Our Mother the Mountain, and when Joe dropped him off, he gave him a copy, and he took it back and played it for Jimmy Dale Gilmore, and it, like, changed the way they wrote songs after that, which... I want to believe that story happened. It's like an amazing story. oh I
2: believe that story. I mean it
0: sounds like Paris, Texas, though you know like it's like where Towns is almost like the Harry Dean Stanton character just wandering you yeah. know yeah, I want to circle back to this country music question because um I think you're right in terms of just looking at it from a pure musical perspective, but there is something about him too, I guess, sort of like on a mythical level, where I feel like his influence on certainly like the old country wing of country music has been profound. Like, I feel like, um, again, that sort of lonesome troubadour. Yeah. You see so many singer songwriters sort of emulating that. Not even so much the actual songs, but sort of like the the myth, the mythos of that. Yeah. Uh, Why do you think that's proven so enduring?
2: Well, this is where the the conversation could take a weird turn with (laughs) me because, I almost never listen to Towns Van Zant because, like I told you before, he scares the absolute shit out of me.
0: Yeah.
2: His there are certain singers and songwriters whose careers have a body count on them. Okay, so like like Hank Williams, George Jones. There's no telling how many people have died trying to be Hank Williams and George Jones. Right. Towns Van Zant's career has a body count, and. If you look at a song like nothing, which is, I would say that a song like that is basically the opposite of religion. It's the opposite of faith and hope because there's just a certainty there of the abyss. You know, that song can put you in a hole that you may not come out of. You know, this is, this is very dangerous music. I'm not joking. <laughs> I'm right. so serious, you know. Um, but that's part of the seductive quality of the, it, too. Yeah, it's, uh, and it, I think that people have this idea about it because of all of that. And the reality is so much more difficult than that. This is not a guy that you would probably want to, to have been, like, close to. Right. You know, this is not a person that you would have wanted to care very much about you know because that uh, there would have been a lot of problems that came from that um and 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 if you were even if you were a fan of his when he was around th- there were difficult uh times there too there are so many stories about just the worst shows you can imagine um, and that th- but that just adds to this legend you know of every everyone really Builds it up into this huge thing, and if you, but if you can strip it back down to reality, it's rough, you know. Yeah, it's it's not great. <laughs> and, and by the way, what I was he he was aware of this too. He he was very aware of the uh, image that people have about him and people like him, um, specifically. Well, uh, back to the body count thing. He, Towns Van Zant knew that Kurt Cobain was a fan of Towns's, and when Kurt Cobain h- killed himself, Towns was like thrown into a depression because he thought that his music may have had something to do with Kurt Cobain's frame of mind. You know, so like, he knew this about himself. You know, he turned he would turn down uh, opportunities to co-write with Bob Dylan. Because he, not because he didn't want to write with Dylan, he was a huge fan of Dylan's, but because he saw how people thought and talked about Dylan, you know, he didn't want to do that. Um, but it, 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 again, it's, it's just a catch-22 there, because people hear that, and it's, you go right towards it, you know, just right at it. And um, yeah, there, there was something else that you had mentioned that I meant to respond to, I'm not sure I'm going to remember it, though. Well,
0: let's... I guess let's talk about I guess our you know our personal connections to this music. I'm curious like when you first heard about Towns Van Zant and when it connected with you. Like was that a simultaneous thing? Because it wasn't for me. Like when I first heard his music, I forget what record it was. It might have been like late great Towns Van Zandt. I could appreciate the songwriting, but it didn't really connect with me. It was like a little bit later. It was really I think seeing. That documentary, the Margaret Brown documentary that came out in 2005, Be Here to Love Me, that it kind of opened a door for me. And I actually feel like that soundtrack is a good gateway for people if you're curious about him because there's a mix of album cuts, alternate versions, live songs. It's a good mix of things just because I think, again, for some people, I know for me, like, I... I accessed him through the live recordings first, and then I kind of fell in love. I fell in love with the songs, and then I fell in love with the records. It wasn't, it was sort of the opposite of maybe how it would normally go. But I was curious for you, like, what was your sort of entry point for him, and and what made you connect with him?
2: Well, fortunately, the first thing I heard was Our Mother of the Mountain, and it was just the work itself. He is as good as everyone pretends anyone else is, you know, and better probably. I mean, he's just a phenomenal wordsmith and and an incredible guitar player too. Uh, That should be pointed out for sure. He was a fantastic guitarist. Um, But what he could do with words is... And this also, I can see how and why they would have used all the production and the type of instrumentation that they did on that first album, because there is a, an antique quality to his approach to pretty much everything. Life too, by the way. I mean, at one point he was living in a house with no electricity, just because <laughs> okay. you know, like, yeah. Uh, he used to go camp out in the woods for weeks at a time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, it's, it, you could convince me that he was a time traveler, you know? Um, <laughs> There's something very similar to, I mean, I never really got into Shakespeare, but that's a word that you might throw around to, just this, a very um, romantic capital R approach to language. Uh, I mean, if anyone hasn't heard him, I, I would start, just press play on the song Why She's Acting This Way, the last song on Our Mother of the Mountain. That's one of the most beautiful <laughs> arrangements of words that I've ever heard, for sure. Um, yeah, and it is crazy, but, but I, to talk about a song like Nothing that I did earlier, uh, that I mentioned earlier, uh, how hopeless that is. And then this is also a guy who could write a song like To Live Is To Fly. Right. You know, it's not like this is just a one-dimensional bum-you-out artist. It's just for me personally, uh, that side of him affects me so I've been worried about crying while recording this the entire day, you know, and just because like this is, I don't, I don't ever talk about what my favorite music is because it's, I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid, (laughs) like, (laughs) and because it's. It usually is my favorite music because it terrifies me in some way. There's there's something that just scares the shit out of me about it. I mean, like, Kate Bush is another one, you know? Like, right. I'm never going to meet someone in a bar, bring up Kate Bush, and start talking about her. Because <laughs> that's insane to me. Just the thought of, like, desecrating the subject in casual conversation is so... Uh thoughtless
0: <laughs> well and like you mentioned him as a as a great writer and as a great guitar player i would also add as a great singer i think he's an underrated singer i think he's a he's the kind of singer that can be deceptively one-dimensional and i think it's true that he doesn't have a great range in terms of how many octaves he can hit or whatever but when you talk about the emotional element of his records and like what affects me it's often the sound of his voice and the way that uh, you know, I think what you're talking about with the darkness, you know, in his music, and the, the the danger in his music, I think is just how he can express the feeling of like pure loneliness, probably better than anyone. And he can do it in a way, like in a song like Nothing, which is sort of straightforwardly bleak. But I think of a song like 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 Don't Take It Too Bad, mm-hmm. which I think in a way, it's sort of like it's like saying to someone, don't feel bad that life is so terrible. <laughs> you know, it's going to be okay. It's kind of like a pep talk. Yeah. From the pers- There's sort of a cheerfulness to it, um, but it's still coming from this sad place. Um, but that always really affects me. That kind of glimmer of hope in the darkness makes it even more affecting in a way.
2: Yeah, and then there's also the other side of that coin, though, is that if you write a love song, it's generally from a place of, but it's probably going to get fucked up, you know? Like, It's probably not going to work. Well, probably, well,
0: what about his most famous love song, If I Needed You? Which yeah. was, you know, and again, like we talk about his connection to country music. It, it would be that, because that's, okay. If I Needed You. If. If. It's a big if. <laughs> but that, that was, a, was that a number one hit for Lou Harris? Number three, Number three. Because that was sort of the peak of his notoriety, I guess, during his life when he wrote that, when that was a hit, and then, of course, Poncho and Lefty yeah. was a number one hit for no Willie and, and and Merle in the early '80s, um, but but yeah, that that's a good point. It says if I needed you.
2: Yeah, but but back to what you are saying about him as a singer, something that is interesting to I w- I mean objectively not a great singer, you know, but also personally I like a lot of bad singers, you know, I I. I I find it interesting when someone has a non-traditionally wonderful voice. But what's interesting is if you go find a song uh, on this, Mickey Newberry recorded this song called Mr. Can't You See that he wrote with Towns Van Zant. Mickey Newberry is like a virtuoso singer. So it's, it's, Kind of the closest you could get to hearing what Towns Van Zant would sound like if he just had a killer voice, you know. Yeah. And it wouldn't work as good. I I love Mickey Newberry, for sure, but when if you listen to that song and just imagine Towns doing it, which I don't think that he ever did record it, uh, I, I'm pretty certain Towns would affect you more if you were listening to him do that song.
0: Well, I was thinking too, like he, he does. Um a cover of Racing in the Streets, which is on the Road Songs mm-hmm. record. And you know I love Bruce Springsteen, he's like one of my favorite artists, I love his version of it, but the Townsend's end version, I think he like cuts out a verse of it. It's like, he plays it just kind of straight through with like no pauses between the verses. And um, it's like the most beautiful version of that song. And I don't know what it is about it, you're right, he doesn't technically have a great voice, but there is always, in terms of expressing emotion and expressing vulnerability, and like actually sounding like the guy in the song. Yeah. Like he sounds like the person that actually was racing in the streets when he sings that. Maybe like when he's a little bit older and broken down and reflecting back on it. Um, it just blows me away whenever I hear him sing that, you know, which is a song, again, like you associate it with another singer, so you have an idea of what that song is, and then he performs it and takes it in a totally different direction and it works beautifully
2: yeah his his voice also changed a lot um you know largely due to lifestyle decisions probably yeah. um but I think his, I think town's most underrated album is flying shoes yeah. and you can hear his voice is already changing at that point. I don't remember exactly when that came out. Like I mean, 78. That sounds right.
0: Cause there was like a gap cause, cause he puts out those first four records, <laughs> which, you know, it's like for the sake of a song, our mother, the mountain, the self titled record and late great towns, Van Zandt. And then I think there's a gap after that. There's
2: like a six year gap. Um, because of the whole there's like Edgar's rec- not paying Jack Clement for the tapes and yeah. nothing really happened there and then the label falls apart after that.
0: Well yeah, that's like a kind of missing chapter in his career because he did make a record in Nashville which yeah. would have maybe been his country record if it had come out at the time and his ma- his, his manager didn't pay <laughs> It's like such a weird thing. You think this this like monumental artist and yet in his in his lifetime it was like dealing with sort of shady people he was like not treated as a major artist he was just some guy although people other artists respected him but in terms of the industry he wasn't really getting a push it was,
2: i mean yeah well it's my understanding that the title of the late great Towns Van Zant was sort of to really to try to make people think that he had died <laughs> because you know the whole like you're you're once you're dead, everyone likes you more. You know, I, I really, I, that's my understanding is that Eggers was really trying to make a lot of people think that Towns had died so that people would, you know, rediscover him or whatever. Oh, it turns out he's still alive. <laughs> um, it is, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, can't, I mean, as soon as I found out that Towns Van Zandt existed, you know, as soon as I listened to it, it mattered a lot to me. So I, it's right. just, you've got you've to think that people just didn't hear it. You know, and partic- he's, I mean, he's one of these people who transcends any genre, by the way. I mean, if we want to talk about whether or not he's a folk singer or a country artist or whatever, it doesn't matter because someone who likes hardcore punk is still going to listen to this dude's albums, you right. know. It has, It there's, genre doesn't even, this dude, I mean, <laughs> uh... It's it's almost more than music. It's almost something bigger than music that's happening here. You know, it, there's a lot of metaphysical stuff that is working around Towns Van Zandt for me. You know, I can say that and I'm sure that a lot of people who really love him would say the same thing. All
0: right, we'll get back to our conversation here in a moment, but I want to tell you about our sponsor for this week's episode, and it is Mac Weldon. Now, Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. They will, they will provide the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that, that you will ever wear. Now, I have actually worn Mac Weldon before, even before they were a sponsor. I've, I've worn their t-shirts. I've worn their undergarments. It's very comfortable, it's affordable, it looks nice. You know, it's not that ratty, tidy, whitey stuff that will make your wife or girlfriend, you know, sort of cringe uh, when she sees you. This is really cool, fashionable, comfortable, affordable stuff. And to entice you further into checking out Mac Weldon, we are offering a special deal for Celebration Rock listeners. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code celebration at checkout again that is macweldon.com promo code celebration you will get 20% off your first order again you're not only going to be comfortable in these clothes you're going to look great for your wife or girlfriend or significant other Whoever you need to look good for in your undergarments, Mac Weldon will take care of you. So again, go to macweldon.com, enter in the promo code celebration, and you will get 20% off your first order. Okay, let's get back to our conversation. I feel like we have to mention too, though, that he also was—he also could be really funny, especially oh, on yeah. his live records, um, like the joke about. His, the, the, someone stealing the car at the end of his car keys, mm-hmm. and then his flies open, and they stole my girl too.
2: Well, you've got to. Uh, you can't just dump boulder after boulder on everyone's heads. You know, you've got to. <laughs> you've got to relieve the pressure a little bit. And I think he was very aware of that. And he, I mean. He loved bad jokes, which is even better than if he was, uh, you know, if he was a great comedian or something. Like, someone like Roger Miller was just, like, legit a great comedian, you right. know? But Towns specifically sought out terrible jokes to tell, <laughs> and it made it so much funnier, you know? Um, but, and, and yeah, a natural wit, too. I remember reading a concert review where a siren. Like, was ha- uh, some emergency vehicle was driving by in the middle of one of his songs, and he just paused and said, "Good luck," to, to like <laughs> to this to whatever that siren was for, right, right. you know, and then went back to his song. Um, but he, I mean, I don't know. He's just he's such a transparent person, you know. I think that there's one song, I think it's called "Standing," uh, that's I'm probably just straight autobiography, you know, of just this sort of this character that was never going to exist within the confines of society. You know, like you're never gonna get this dude to pay a mortgage, you know? Right, right. Like he could he could barely hold on to anything, you know. There's so many stories about him just gambling everything away and not caring, you know. It's uh Yeah, there's just there's a there's a lot going on around it and it all just comes through you right. know i think it's all just very transparent with him
0: I, you have you, talked about our mother of the mountain being like a, you know one of his great records a good gateway record for people are there any other albums that stand out for you as being like head and shoulders above the rest
2: well i think i do think that Fly and shoes is the most underrated one i think i, I love mean, that record per, too especially anyone who you know doesn't like the production of course uh, he put out a great Live double album, Live at the Old Quarter, which that's probably, that's probably exactly what everyone who got mad about that first album was expecting to have in their hands, you know, because it's just, he did a string of dates, he recorded all the shows, and you get... The him talking between songs, you get the jokes that are on there and everything, and, and it's yeah, it's it's him,
0: right. And the old quarter was this basically dive bar in Houston that he played a lot in the early '70s, and you listen to that record and you feel it sounds like there's maybe fifty people there, like or maybe a hundred people. I
2: think literally a hundred. I think that's yeah. all it could hold. Yeah. yeah,
0: so it's like not, it's not like he's playing some big arena like most live records. It feel you you feel like you could hear beer glasses clinking in the background like the air conditioning's not working Mm -hmm. and he talks about that so it's not just i mean the songs are amazing and it's just like you said it's like the atmosphere of that record is very much i think evocative of like what people would associate with towns van zandt um so yeah i always that's the record i I recommend to people a lot if they want to get into him
2: yeah i I mean i Again, though, I do think that "Arm of the Mountain" is the best one. I mean, like, there are some songs that are on the live album; they're they're good. I listen to the live album and I enjoy it, but there are certain songs, like "Why She's Acting This Way." I love that. I love that song so much, and if when I'm hearing it on the live one, it generally just makes me want to listen to the one with the full production. You know, Right.
0: yeah. I have flying shoes i 'm trying to remember what's on that record
2: because I love that record too. I love the title track um Loretta is a yeah. great song that's on there. um I would have to look it up to um figure it out. I have all this stuff on vinyl, so I'll generally just like put an album on and not really pay attention to which one it is right or right which yeah. one it is but I, like I went back and looked at them before having this conversation and I've just yeah i've always. No one ever talks about Flying Shoes that much, you know? I think... Isn't Rex Blues on yeah. Flying Shoes? Yeah. I, I mean, that's a fantastic song.
0: I think that originally appeared on the on the Old Quarter record, yeah. and then he recorded it for Flying Shoes, which is, like, just a beautiful song about Rex Bell, who was, like, a guy in his... I guess... I think he owned the Old Quarter, but he was also a singer-songwriter himself. And it's just, like, this beautiful five-verse song, no chorus tracing a person's life in the song, basically. Uh, A relatively straightforward narrative for one of his songs, too. Like, it's a pretty straightforward story song. Um, I mean, there's always storytelling. Like, you know, like, Poncho and Lefty is such a great storytelling song. Uh, Probably his most famous song. But a great thing about that. To me, that's almost like, it reminds me of, like, a 70s like, anti-Western. You know, like, where you don't Get it clear you know it has a downer ending but it's there's amb- there's like ambiguity to it um, you can read into it you know it seems sort of metaphorical but it also is straightforward enough that Willie and Merle could take it and make it a number one song
2: yeah Pancho and lefty is a really good example of one of town's great talent which is the simile like he could use a simile like nobody's business and the uh, skin like iron and man like that is something Breath like kerosene yeah you don't and it it. so many people cause he I mean he would tell you that he doesn't even know what that song's about you know yeah. but there's so many people who relate to that because it uh, it adapts to whatever they have going on in their lives you know they it, they, they feel it even though it's not really about anything you well, know I mean,
0: it seems like a song about loss you know like yeah. like a friend that you had or maybe a version of yourself that you remember from the past that uh maybe was a better version of yourself a more pure version or someone you loved and now they're gone i've always interpreted it to be about that. That's it's, what it makes me think of when I listen to it.
2: I've had about five or six different things <laughs> that I think it could be about. Uh, just throughout the years, um, it's one of those. I mean, it's one of those things where it changes with your as your life changes. That song changes to, to continue to fit your life. You know right. the way that you need it to. It's it's a, it's magic. It's yeah.
0: One, one song I, lo- I love of his is, is, Buck, is Buckskin's Stallion Blues, which was in three billboards.
2: Yeah, I haven't that, seen
0: that movie. That song was in there. It's funny because Towns Van Zandt has had a, a bit of a renaissance uh, yeah. as far as being on soundtracks. Yeah. yeah, like <laughs> he, you know, Dollar Bill Blues is in uh, Howl or High Water over heard, the uh, credits. I, I heard
2: Lungs on True Detective. Okay, I can't remember if it was Lungs or not.
0: It seems like. Townsman's Van Zandt has almost become like shorthand for like a southern noir. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, you it's know?
2: shorthand for I know what I'm talking about when the subject is music, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, I think
0: it is almost like uh, if you w- want to evoke death, like people would play Johnny Cash songs like from the Rick Rubin years, like mm-hmm. they'd play the man that comes around or something. It almost seems like if you want to sort of evoke the expanse of like West Texas or something, like, a, and you're going to set like a thriller in that part of the country, you play a Townsend and song because it just it's almost like playing CCR if you're going to have a Vietnam movie at this it's, point. It's funny that yeah. you said
2: that you referenced Credence because the other one I thought of was um, his cover of Dead Flowers on the um, Big Lebowski. Right.
0: <laughs> Which was like one of the early, uh, I, I feel like, because that was still at a time when, I think even in the 90s, Towns Van Zandt was still relatively unknown.
2: He was... Well, Poncho and Lefty did a lot for him. Um, yeah. Um, he got he got to start playing in some bigger rooms and definitely uh, more people were uh, into what he was doing. But he, he was always an artist's artist. You know, always a writer's writer. Always a guitar player's guitar player. And that's just... That's sort of the nature of that whole thing. You know, like, yeah. if you are truly great then your entire career runs the risk of being an artist artist
0: yeah i just wonder like with him if he had had better management if that would have made a difference um
2: it's hard or if
0: if he hadn't been addicted to heroin i mean that you know he had
2: a lot of personal issues too that derailed him here's something we haven't talked about that would be pretty useful information, I guess, for anyone who doesn't know anything about him, which is that this this is a guy who he went off to college and started exhibiting some pretty troubling patterns of behavior, binge drinking, you know, not really caring about anything, and ends up getting diagnosed as manic depressive, I think. And And he he jumped out of a window. That's like a famous story. For fun, I think he was... Just
0: to see what it would feel like to jump. I think he fell out of a four-story window and fell on his back, supposedly, because he wanted to know what it felt like to Yeah, I wonder what it would be like
2: to fall. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, I I think there's another story about where he was pledging at a fraternity or something, but probably just wanted to show up for drinks. And he shows up to this party without a shirt on. And I guess all the pledges are supposed to be wearing pins, like a lapel pin or something. So he just grabs the pin and sticks it into his chest i mean <laughs> i mean i'm pretty sure that's a townsman's dance story no think. no that is oh, yeah, I, okay. I remember that story um, But no, so then, so he gets diagnosed manic depressive, and in those days, uh, the brilliant minds of psychiatry, one of the forms of therapy that they had was this thing called insulin shock treatment, which people hear shock treatment and they automatically go towards ECT. They think that you're getting electrocuted through a helmet, but this is different. Insulin shock therapy is they fucking, you know, load you up with this shit and put you into a coma for like an hour and then, like, do that. 30 times to you and this it's so after that town says that he basically lost his long-term memory right so he doesn't he's he says that he does I, I we should also probably mention i'm nearly certain this dude lied a lot you know <laughs> right. and and that's just the way that it is right but uh he says that he didn't remember his childhood didn't really have any short-term memory and th- this also i mean it that fits the pattern of his life you know this this is you could see this being a contributing factor to someone deciding to live the troubadour lifestyle of just traveling from town to town, playing music for money. You get what you get. You you drink with it. You do drugs with it, or whatever. It's because it it's like uh, it's like you're just a, a blank slate. Like you right. get wiped you get wiped clean at the end of every day. You know, and. It's yeah, that, I mean, so I think that that goes. I can't remember how we got here, but then, like, however we got here, well, this is lack like, of success. I yeah, th- yeah I,
0: I think yeah, there was a ruthlessness to him that. Um, I mean, there's so many stories like this in music history. There's so many of these cult heroes that like we all love now, and at the time they didn't have any success. Whether it's Big Star, Nick Drake, goes all the way down the line, and there is that sort of common thread of like something in the artist. Not really wanting to commit to what it takes to be commercially successful, where there's, and it, it seems like it, with Towns Van Zandt, on top of all of his personal issues, all the struggles that he had, was just this maybe contrarian nature or not wanting to conform to what was going on.
2: Well, yeah, and so that would specifically come into affecting the career because I mean, we, even after he did start packing in venues, you know, smaller ones, but after Poncho and Lefty, he's got a a following, you know, enough to make a living at doing this and everything. I mean, he, he could clear a room. He could clear a room in 15 minutes, you know. Well, this is an off night, and everyone leaves. There's one, I mean, there's one story about uh, he had had a fight with his girlfriend that day or something. So he shows up to the venue, only plays blues covers. He's got fans that are requesting his material. He just only plays blues covers. And he's he's, he's with a band, so at one point he he just goes off into the corner of the stage and there's the band is playing. And there was a period of time where he decided he was going to play fiddle, you know, and everyone fun right, right. of how bad he was at playing the fiddle. Right. And so he gets the fiddle out and he's messing with that and he can't get it to do what he wants it to do. So he just smashes this fiddle on stage. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty... I don't I don't know that uh better management fixes that, you know.
0: <laughs> I read this story too about him in the mid 70s where he was at some country music convention function and he was on stage with Guy Clark and Waylon Jennings and a couple other people and they were doing some big jam at the end of the night and he kept trying to stand on his head. Yeah. On stage <laughs> and he kept falling over and even after and after that even Guy Clark was like, "Um, staying away from this guy like because you know it was just like like, do you not want to have a career like why are you fucking up like this in front of everybody
2: well i don't i mean this is something that i get into a little bit in the first season of cocaine and rhinestones when i'm talking about bobby gentry she for anyone who doesn't know she is an artist who quote unquote disappeared um, but it was very intentional on her part. She was done. you know <laughs> She didn't want anyone asking her questions anymore. you know yeah. And I think that people, especially now, when um, you know going viral is such a thing that everyone wants to do. you know, kids just want to go viral. They don't care how. they just want the retweets and the followers and everything that that's that's wanting to be famous is what that is, and it, it, it's so difficult for. A generation of people consumed with that to understand why anyone would not want to to get all the followers and all the retweets right, and the right. Bible videos and everything. And it fame sucks, man. If you've got a choice between being rich and famous, be rich every single time. Right. You know? Right. And yeah, it's it's not cool. I mean there's a Charlie Pride used to talk about Charlie Pride helped out Gary Stewart a lot, and Gary is another figure like Towns who is one of the greats you know one of the all-time greats and just never had the career that he could have had and drug addiction was a huge part of it charlie tells a story about going to gary and saying man gary you know if you cleaned up your act you could be you know a legend and gary's like i don't want to be any bigger than i am you know i want to get fucked up that's right. i want to get fucked up i don't want to do, i don't want to do that
0: right right <laughs> right yeah it was definitely it town's like to get fucked up too from what it sounds yeah. like so you know we we've, we've been talking a lot about how great towns van zandt is you know there's that famous quote from steve Earle that i think he's the best i think towns van zandt's the best songwriter ever and i'll stand on bob dylan's coffee table in my dirty cowboy boots and like, and say that
2: i always like towns response to it which is that he's met bob dylan's bodyguards and steve Earle's not getting anywhere near his coffee <laughs> table <laughs> where do you put towns van zandt
0: in the pantheon i guess of singer songwriters oh or,
2: i uh I don't uh rank <laughs> anyone anymore. I mean, I would he's definitely if if you've got a songwriters Hall of Fame and he's not in it, you might as well not have a songwriters Hall of Fame, you know. Uh like I said, I mean, really if anyone who if you've tried Towns and, and you just don't get it, and, and you didn't hit the song Why She's Acting This Way on your trip in, I mean, go check that song out. You know, look at, just look at it on paper even. Just yeah. write, it, write it out yourself and try to imagine what it would feel like to have created it. And I, can, I can't, I've, I've done this so many times. I've sat down and written that song on paper just to feel what it feels like to write it down. And it's thrilling. It is crazy how good it feels to write that down on paper. And it came from him. It came from this guy. Right. You know, yeah. Uh, it, it, his talent cannot be overstated. You you can't heap more praise on Towns Van Zant than he deserves. You right. know, it's impossible.
0: Yeah, and I think, again, you hear about these artists sometimes and you feel like, okay, I've heard so much about Towns Van Zandt. He can't possibly as, be as good as... You can be and sometimes you can over you can almost overhype someone where yeah. it can keep them out but i would really say that if the albums aren't doing it for you to dig into the live record or even some of the bootlegs honestly like my favorite towns van Zant collection is this compilation it's like 60 live songs from throughout his career just from different bootlegs and it's like multiple versions of different songs um and that's how that was like a big thing for me as far as really falling in love with his music just as you say the writing of it the the way that he could be so poetic and also plain spoken at the same time like where it's not the sort of poeticism that calls attention to itself it's just is beautiful it's sort of it feels unadorned you know and he often talks about how he dreams songs which has also been disputed like he said that he dreamt if i needed you and there's in that book in the um Robert O. Hardy book, he disputes that. There's like different stories about him actually working on it for a couple of years or, or crafting it or, or whatever. Um, but I also think just the way he delivers the songs and his voice as a limited instrument, the amount of emotion and vulnerability that he can express uh, when he sings these these songs, uh, I think is, is really unmatched. I mean, I think in terms of just... The ability to express the sensation of being alone. I can't think of anyone who is better at that than Towns yeah. Van
2: Zandt. And, and not just alone in a human being sense, but like a universal consciousness <laughs> level right, of get alone. It. Right, you know? like, like there's no God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like w- w- there's nothing. They, yeah. like, get, like the song Nothing. I mean, in that song, s- Sorrow and Solitude, you know, like he... he sp- straight up says those are the only two words you even need to remember in your entire life because that's all that's the only thing that matters right you know it's the only thing that's real and it's just like fuck man like, and you know you know that that's that's not true on tuesday but sometimes on wednesday it is and if and right. if it's true on wednesday and you hear that song on wednesday you're fucked like
0: but I, w- I would say too though that it's not just purely like depressing music it's the kind of music where if you are also feeling the same way this guy makes you feel less alone or maybe you feel less alone in comparison to
2: him. You're like, well, I'm not as down the road as this guy. You know, I think it, I mean, you said that it was unadorned and plain spoken. I think that's true. I think it, I think it really did just come to him this way. I think it's just, this is just who he is. You know, like you're very much just hearing him. And and by the way, I do believe that he could have written songs and dreams. I've definitely dreamed songs before uh, for sure. But, um, if, I mean, if you get your mind, your daytime mind working in that mode, your nighttime mind will go there sometimes on its own. It's just, it's pretty natural. But um, yeah, I think th- I think this stuff just came out of him that way. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that he did need to work very long on songs. I can't remember what the song was. It might have been Marie. Um, that he wrote it in the morning. Played it for Guy Clark, and then went across the street to the show that he was playing, and performed it on stage that night. Yeah, you know, where that's that's a pretty di- that's that's not something that a lot of people can do. You know, it takes some it takes songwriters time to learn their own songs. You know, you write it and then you have to learn it and then you can go perform it. Yeah. But for him, it's like it's really like it just arrived complete to his mind, and right. all he had to do was perform it.
0: You know, I mentioned earlier about how Towns Van Zandt has become an archetype for a lot of singer-songwriters. I think because of his talent and the music he created, but also because of the mythos around him. It's a very he he represents a very romantic archetype about the troubadour and the stuff, of the terrible things in his life now get romanticized now in death. You know, the 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 loneliness, the 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 the, the bad behavior, all that stuff. But in terms of like the art, do you feel like there that he has heirs in terms of like just artistic heirs. Do you feel there's people working in that tradition now oh, that you could um, liken to what he's doing? I mean, I feel like there's people attempting to do that. I don't know. It, there aren't a lot of people that come to mind that I would put on his level or or even compare to him necessarily. But I was wondering if you would. if. It,
2: I mean, probably... I'm the kind of person where... When it comes to music, I want to trace it back to the source, yeah. you know, and because I find that what is generally most exciting to me is the source. You know, right. like if, if there's ever when, when you're 16, 17, you like bands, then you find out what the favorite bands of that band is you start listening to those and you're like, oh, this is clearly better, you know, <laughs> and I mean that's just been my experience. So, were I ever to hear uh, someone who even reminded me of Towns Van Zant, I would just listen to Towns Van Zant, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but I don't. I mean, I don't know. It seems like it would be real obvious if someone was trying to. to I don't think that he was ever trying. No. You know. And I, I mean, I guess the truest uh, way to uh, do what you think towns was doing would be to not have to try like if you, and you probably aren't going to end up sounding like Towns Van Zandt if that's what you're doing because yeah. you're not him you know.
0: I just remember talking to Todd Snyder about that once about how he felt there were so many singer-songwriters that were just trying to do sort of like the miserable aspects of Towns Van Zandt. It's like
2: Bill Hicks with comedians. You know? Right exactly. Every fucking local comedy scene has 20 guys who want to be Bill Hicks and you know?
0: it's like they're missing sort of the full spectrum of what he did and also just kind of like what you were saying like if if you can do what he did you aren't as affected you know like if you're affected you're kind of missing the point it's sort of if you got to find your own voice and he, like you said it seems like he plugged into something very pure uh in himself like a pure expression where he could just kind of like what's in my soul can get through my fingertips and onto the guitar and when I'm, and my words and there's no barrier there between like what I'm trying to express and what I can actually accomplish.
2: There's also something very courageous about him. I hear a lot of courage when I listen to Townes Van Zandt because it's not it's not wallowing. It's standing up and saying this stuff. Right. You know, it, it's it's not laying down, you know, and letting the car run over you or whatever. It's standing up and saying, "All right, hit me, motherfucker." You know, <laughs> it,
0: but it, but also like doing it in his again, like going back to his vocals, he can do it in a way where there's like almost like a calm, or maybe it's just an acceptance.
2: It's I I hear acceptance, yeah. yeah.
0: I hear yeah. Like there's not a lot of pathos in his voice, it's, but like but or like at least demonstrative pathos. You can hear it, but it's it's so underplayed, and it makes it more powerful
2: to me hearing him it always sounds like the thing that needed to be reckoned with in order for me to be able to say this has been reckoned with by me yeah. so now i can just tell you about it right you know
0: or maybe it's like i'm a, i'm a dead man walking <laughs> anyway so you know it's like what i just it's okay i've accepted my fate and i'm going to tell you about it whatever happens after this will happen
2: yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I hard agree. Yeah,
0: but there's there's also a lot of beautiful songs. I also want to say that for people, I don't want to scare people away from Townes Van Zandt. I because, do, I yeah.
2: do for real. Like if you are given to bouts of depression, you know, yeah. ever have thoughts of self harm, I don't know that you should be listening to this music. I'm not joking. Yeah, you know, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, well. Feel good, and then put on a Towns Van Zandt record. Tyler, it's been a pleasure talking with you about this, man. I really appreciate you coming down and doing it all, talking about towns. You kept it together. I did. We, we both kept it together, so I think we uh, get a medal for that. But hey, thanks again. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it anytime. anytime. Right, take care. All right, so that was me and Tyler talking about Towns Van Zandt. Hopefully, if you are a novice in the world of Towns Van Zandt, you will now have a lot of recommendations. Uh, that you can check out a lot of things that a lot of entry points into his catalog. And then you can write me and tell me about how you're crying all the time because it's (laughs) such heartbreaking music, but you will feel good in the long run. I guarantee it. If you get into town's fans, all right, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of celebration rock. Got to give a shout out as always to Derek Madden, the man who puts it all together. And also a shout out to Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening and uh, you know, saying nice things about us, spreading the word, spreading the Celebration Rock gospel, and keeping us around. You know, if not for you, there would be no podcast. So thank you so much for your support. We will be back again next week with more Celebration Rock.
1: We will talk to you then.
2: On the Westwood One Podcast Network.